If by some miracle you're listening to this, that could either mean one of two things. Either we made it out, or I'm long gone by now. Whichever it is, my name is Jesse, and this is my story. Why can't you come in? She asked with a stink eye to accompany it. He was coughing. He was sick. Or at least he might have been. I don't know. Just, just drive. Head towards camp. She pulled off slowly. I assumed to make sure I didn't fall off when I knocked on the back window to tell her to pick it up. In case she forgot there was a man with a gun who just wanted me as his new throw rug. She was still cautious as she sped up, but that wouldn't last long. As we made our way to the end of the block, we passed a scene that we all would have been more than happy to never see again. As we passed the last house on the right, our wide eyes were met back with the stare of five rednecks, two of which recognized us and our van right away. It was the big man and junior from the first house. Hey, where are you going? Not so fast, let's talk, the big man said. Come on now, you're not the only one with a car. Go, 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 I said with aggression as I banged on the back of the window. Junior, get the truck. We're going where they're going. Lenny sped off down the block, making a few random turns, careful not to go in a circle. With one hand holding onto my stock roof rack as I stood on the steel bumper, I used the other hand to pull out my revolver just in case they did catch up. I was looking back for any sign of them when... The van slowed down to a quick stop. I turned forward to ask why the hell she was stopping when I immediately got all of my answers answered. A red beat up pickup with three men in the bed and the big man and junior in the cab blocked the street. And they weren't just here to talk over tea. That much was made very clear when I saw that they each had a gun in their paws. Before I could even jump down off the back and face them with my gun drawn, Lenny peeled off to the left across the front lawn of a house, crashing through their old wooden fence. Broken boards and shrapnel rode over the top of the van and clipped my head before I could fully duck for cover. A match-sized gash ripped over my eyebrow and began to bleed into my eyelid. Without hesitation, she crashed through the back fence and got us back on the road, but the rednecks followed in every step of the way. That's when I had enough and aimed my revolver towards their cracked windshield. Subconsciously, I did this as more of a warning to back off and leave us be rather than a threat to actually fire. They ducked down in the back of the truck, but only for a quick second. When they realized I didn't fire, they sprung up and one of their own fired a shot towards us. This was the second time I have been shot at today. But this one? Yeah, this one was different. There was a whole new meaning of fear, because behind me was my wife and kid who could have easily been a recipient of that bullet. I don't know how much that bullet missed the van by, but I wasn't going to wait any longer. I fired one shot that connected to the top of the windshield, waited about a second and a half, and before they could stand back up, I fired two more rounds. Only three rounds left in my gun with no way to get to my pack and reload. I was slightly relieved to see Junior cut the wheel out of pure reaction and spun the truck a full 90 degrees. 
I let out two more quick rounds without even noticing that I was aiming at the now threatless man and connected both times. He stayed slumped over the side of the truck, head down as the dark blood ran over the side of the faded light red paint. I froze as Lenny continued to create distance between us and them. My arm still in full extension as I watched them fade away as the rest of the dead man's crew jumped over to him in disbelief and tried to help save him. But it was clear. He was dead. This held them in their tracks as Lenny sped away, zigzagging from block to block until there wasn't any sign of them for about five minutes. Only then did I realize that I was still gripping my gun tight enough to lose color in my fingers. For the rest of the ride, I was looking back, making sure they didn't reappear. But thinking about it now, I don't know if I would have even noticed if they did come back. I was in a complete haze of thought about what just happened. Not even trying to come to grips yet of the thought that I just killed a man. It wasn't that I necessarily thought I was in the wrong, but there's a certain feeling that comes with you after that. The feeling you can never go back to normal. That from this moment on, until your inevitable demise, you have this presence inside you now that you just killed a man. And I didn't come out of that intense fog until we hit the dirt road back to our camp. A combination of fear brought by the realization that I encountered somebody who seemed to have trobic and the thought that I knew those rednecks were on a mission to even the count for their lost mate kept me outside the van for nine days. I only slept during the day and kept watch all night long. We ate separately, we bathed separately, and we made separate fires to stay warm. Depression filled our little home base as I missed my crew equally as much as they missed me. Sure, we would wave and mouth words through the window from a safe distance, but that was never even close to enough. On the ninth day alone, I was sitting by my sad little campfire with my ass in the dirt, staring down at my weak cup of coffee, when I heard the sweetest, most calming voice come from a few feet behind me. Hey, me and Ben have been talking. We need you back. What do you think? I immediately lit up from the excitement of hearing her voice again. I knew I was supposed to stay away for a few more days just to be completely sure I didn't come down with anything, but I couldn't hide it. It's not been a full two weeks yet. There's still a chance that I can come down with it. I said, silently hoping that she would contest me on that. Yeah, we know, but we've been watching you and you haven't shown any signs of getting sick. And we're ready to be whole again. I got up and grabbed her in for a hug. I cried. I cried on her shoulder. I cried because... Well, I don't really know. I cried because there's a mix of all of these emotions that I've been suppressing. I cried because the world has went mad. Because we're alone. Because I'm struggling to keep my family safe and sane. Because I took a life. And because I'm scared. Just then, Ben came running out of the van to get in on this big hug himself. I felt the relief and happiness flood my body once again. Life was good. 
For the rest of the day, I let them chew my ear off about everything they've been doing and talking about in the last week and a half as we went fishing as a full family, cut wood, played hide and seek, and checked all of our trap lines for small land animals to eat. And to our surprise, we caught a squirrel. The entire day was, was flying by. That night, we were all equally as excited to get some well-needed sleep, and we felt that sense of completion that we haven't felt for the last nine days. Just as Ben told us his last semi-exaggerated story about how he spotted a rabbit that was as big as him this morning, and that was going to be the next thing that he catches, we tucked ourselves in, and even I was going to join them in on some sleep. Just before I closed my eyes, I took a look outside to check on the fire and realized that I completely forgot to throw on that last load of logs for the night, simply just being too distracted by my first night back with my family. As much as I didn't want to move a muscle, I slipped on my boots and went to go throw them on. As I reached down, I was cracked on the back of the head by one of my own logs. A flash of light struck my eyes as I fell face first into the dirt. I immediately tried to lift myself from my chest but found that I couldn't move my arms. The world around me was dark and blurry. The voices that surrounded me were nothing more than mumbles backed with a loud, high-pitched ringing. Then I heard two screams that I thought I somewhat recognized. But I couldn't remember who those vocals belonged to. I knew them. That much I was sure. But who are they? Why can't I move yet? Is somebody holding me down? And what's this warm sensation that's behind my ears? Then things began to spin, which made the screams come and go in frequency. Who is that? The mumbles that were close to my head meant nothing to me. But whoever was getting further away, that meant something. Then I felt all of the wind leave my lungs as I was kicked in the ribs. I grabbed for my ribs as I exhaled, but I was immediately grateful for the kick because I can now move my arms. I'm thankful for that. That's when things started clearing up. The ringing began to fade. The words in my ears became clearer. My eyes began to focus. Those screams. Those screams became clearer. I know those screams. Those screams are Lenny and Ben. My Lenny and Ben. That's when my head began to clear. You see here, boy? You took one of our guys from us. I seem to have a bit of a problem with that. You, you see, I'm a believer in restitution. And since you took somebody from me, I'm gonna take somebody from you. But you made it too easy. You provided a two-for-one deal. That's a noble move if you ask me. I rolled over onto my back and began to lean up when I got a boot pressed into my chest, pushing me back down. It was a large redneck with Junior, the higher-pitched fella, by his side. I began to look around rather than talk and noticed another man, and the voice of a fourth near Lenny and Ben. But I wasn't phased by the three men that surrounded me for some reason. I immediately grabbed his ankle and twisted as I rolled out from underneath him. The burly man slammed face first into the dirt, letting out a gasp. I rolled to my feet and grabbed the gun that he lost grip of as I sprung up to look for my family. Before I could even lay eyes on them, I saw the third man pull his gun towards my head and level it out. I ducked down and shot twice. There was no hesitation this time. There wasn't as much as a second thought. 
Both shots landed and dropped him down on the ground. Dead. Dumbfounded, Junior checked back into reality from whatever space he was caught up in, and began fumbling for his all-too-familiar tarnished gun from his overalls. I speared him in the chest, effectively blocking all access to his weapon and pinning him on the ground. I checked the big man as he began to get up with the barrel pointed in his direction now. I swear to God, you move, I shoot. That simple. I put the gun, but I put the gun back to Junior's head hard enough to cut him open in the process. I'm killing you right now if you don't make this big man here tell the other man to leave my family alone and come back here now. I screamed, and to my surprise, Junior didn't respond right away. Without thought, I clicked back the hammer on the gun, and to this day I believe I was going to shoot. Okay, okay, Barry, call Dale back, please. If he so much as touches him, I am shooting you both starting from the ground and working up. I am not playing with you. The big man, or Barry as I just learned, took a second to pause and think. I didn't like that. I turned the gun to Barry and shot. Not to kill, but not too worried if it did either. I hit him right in the large hip, maybe a little bit closer to his butt cheek. But regardless, he let out a colossal howl, which caught the attention of Dale. Hey, what's going on up there? Boss, was that you? The gun was again trained on Junior's forehead as he began to hyperventilate and tears swelled in his eyes. Last chance. Call him back now and tell him not to touch them, but pause for one more second and I will kill both of you and go get him myself. I knew I couldn't wait one more second without my family, so this was either now or never for the two men I had in my custody. Hey, Dale! Come on back, leave them be! Uh, are you sure? Are you sure, Barry? Yes, goddammit! Leave them be and come up here! The three of them walked into our clearing, Lenny holding Ben and shoving his face into her hip. Benny was crying but very clearly trying to stop in order not to make a bigger scene. When I first laid eyes on them, I jumped off Junior and immediately trained my gun on Dale and screamed for Lenny to run into the van. Again, to my surprise, Dale didn't have a gun. He threw his hands up and I yelled at him. Don't you even take one fucking step towards him or I will drop you where you stand. Whoa, okay, okay now brother. Just come on down, lower your gun. You're aiming at an unarmed man, and, uh, and that doesn't seem too hospitable. On the ground, now. One step out of line, I shoot. But how can you be so certain that that gun is loaded? It is clear to me that that gun does not belong to you at all, now does it? It would appear to be a bold judgment to assume that that gun was ever even loaded in the first place. He was a wise mouth who thought he could talk his way out of this, and I would be lying if I said that having my family back in the van with the door shut didn't lower my adrenaline levels a few notches, but I still wasn't playing around. I knew I needed to jump in that van and take off out of here immediately, but I had to make sure that they weren't going to follow at the same time. Shut your mouth and get down, and if you hesitate or do anything other than what I am telling you to do, I am shooting Junior first, then you and big man here is going to watch all of you die before I kill him too. We wanted to be left alone, but you tried to take my family. You left me no choice. At this point, I was trying to talk my way through this as opposed to using the force that I knew I wanted to because my son was now a few feet away in that van 
and would hear everything that happens. And I didn't ever want him to see me kill another human being. He wouldn't be able to understand why. He will only know that I did. Luckily, Dale began to listen and slowly crouched down and head towards the ground next to Barry. No, not there. Slide away from him. He had this certain look about him, this demeanor that said that he was constantly scheming something up in his head, as if he always thought that he could figure out a way to talk himself into having the upper hand. I picked up on that right away and I would not allow it. I was the one with the gun here and I needed to keep that power. That's when he really locked eyes onto his friend that laid there motionless, dead. His eyes went wide. He fumbled to make sense out of it. Holy shit, no. What happened? You, you killed him? And that's when the wisecracking remarks and sarcastic tone left. He went limp and began to weep. Barry was still rolling in pain, and Junior hadn't moved an inch since I got off of him. In the next split second, I ran into the van, slamming the door closed, jumping in the front seat, turning the keys that I always left in the ignition, and gunned it out of there.